0: Super excited about another crucial conversation coming your way in just a few moments. But before we get there, of course, we got to talk about the wonderful sponsors that make episodes like this a possibility to be in your hearing and to encourage you and uh, just get you through your day a little bit. And, of course, uh, one of the things that's going to really help you get by is
1: Anderson Heat and Air. We're tired of all the excuses on why you ain't getting it done. We've given you this opportunity to call this man numerous times. Stop procrastinating. You're not going to do it tomorrow. Just do it today. Call 870-926-8700 and tell Nat Anderson the Crucial Conversation sent you. What all kind of business does Nat Anderson do? He does new installs. He does remodels. He does, hey, if you got that junkie unit you just have some some sort of a connection to, he'll work on that. It don't matter what you've got. He's going to take care of it.
0: Just, it's going to
1: bring your cost down. Yeah, it's going to bring your cost down. Just give him a call today. At 870-926-8700 today. If somebody wants to read a good book, where do they need to go, Tony? I think they need to go to Amazon.com, Brian. Oh, what are they going to look for there? Life After the Mistake by Sheila Texter. This book will get you through, Brian. You you actually read it and you were telling me about how much my wife would enjoy reading it. Oh, and she hasn't read it yet? She needs to. Exactly. In fact, everyone out there needs to. And while they're at it,
0: they can go back and look at the episode with Sheila Texter. We just did a little over a month ago. What would
1: you rate that book on Amazon?
0: Uh, epic is what I would read. Five stars? It. I, I, one to five, I would rate it an Epic. And you need to read it. You need, <laughs> you need to get that book. And, uh, and it's going to encourage you about new beginnings. It's got a little bit for everybody. It's got a story about starting a church. It's got personal stories. It's got, it's got some letters in there. It's just an interesting book, and it's going to be a book that is is—it's a crucial book. It's about a crucial subject. And another book that you're going to want is you're going to want to get a hold of the book No Mess, No Message by Dr. April Jones. We've been telling you about it for over a year. I know you've been meaning to get it. There's no day like today. Today is a great day to purchase this book. It's all about how your past doesn't have to redefine your future in a negative light, but there's a message Behind your mess, or that comes out of your mess because you overcome by your testimony and of course Dr. April Jones has her website, which is the drifted drum company
1: dot com yes the drifted drum dot com dot uh, com you can put in promo code crucial twenty twenty and get twenty percent off your entire purchase all
0: kinds of stuff and I know I said it's the uh, the drifted drum dot com that that's what her company as is, is the drifted drum but the website again is the Drifteddrum.com. and so again don't forget that promo code crucial 2020
1: yes exactly you want to make sure you get that today another thing you don't need to keep waiting waiting on another company brian brand new sponsor alert <laughs> <laughs> be-de-ding, be-de-ding, be-de-ding. you know what that is What's that's that? our new sponsor alert i uh, like that i like that it is trauma hogs barbecue Woo, I love some barbecue. Yes, you do. Brian, tell us about Trauma Hogs.
0: What you need to do is you need to get on Facebook right now, and you need to follow Trauma Hogs. It's a uh, fairly new business is starting up in the Jonesboro area. He's going to have some specials on there, things that you're going to want to know. We're going to have more details Great for you. Great barbecue sauce. Great barbecue sauce. He has dry rub. He sells different rubs. Awesome apparel. And some apparel. But, again, you need to get on their Facebook website. It's just getting going. And as time goes, we're going to have more things to tell you about that he's going to do that he's able to do for you.
1: Brian, but, let's let's stop kidding with each other. Just like our last episode with Jeff Morgan, let's not lie to each other. We're apostolic and we like to eat. Oh, I love to eat. We're, you There's love no, to eat, too. There is nothing better than when Pastor calls for a potluck. And there's nothing better
0: than some barbecue. Stop Tony taking, and I literally
1: just did a barbecue. Stop taking that bland barbecue to your potluck. Spice it up with Trauma Hogs Barbecue. Follow Trauma Hogs on Facebook right now. I'm sick of taking that bland barbecue. Yes, so we need Trauma what's Hogs. So, what sauce did we have up? tonight on, on those ribs?
0: Uh, trauma Hog sauce.
1: Yeah, fantastic.
0: Fantastic sauce. You guys want to check it out, get on Facebook, Trauma Hogs Barbecue.
1: Stupid. Stupid, stupid, bland barbecue. Why does I hate like, it? Why does people even eat that? They need to close stuff?
0: all these places down that sell getting, all this bland. I'm getting nasty. You know what? That our Old. barbecue was
1: so good tonight. Let's delicious. Let's, let's stop doing these ads and let's go get a bite. Enjoy I, this conversation. Enjoy this episode. Yeah, let's get out of here. Hey guys,
0: this is Brian and I'm Tony, and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. to thank Brother Brennan Claiborne for coming on the podcast today. Um, About a little over a year ago, whenever Tony and I first started the podcast, we were looking for for people that we think have a unique story to tell, and we were going down to Little Rock, and at that time, Brother Claiborne, I think I saw on the Instagram, that he was preaching at the largest Pentecostal apostolic church Mm -hmm. in Arkansas, in, in North Little Rock. I think they have about 2,000 people that go there. And I do have to ask just because I've just brought it up. Is it pretty intimidating to preach at a church that's that large, that's that beautiful with with so much of a legacy as that church has?
2: That's a great question. Um, I, I'll give you the short answer because uh, I'm sure there's other things you may want to dive into. But the short answer is uh, there is an element of intimidation, but I've told people it's honestly a lot more intimidating to preach to five people than it is to preach to 2000, in my opinion. And, and by way of explanation for that, I mean, you you can go up there, you can preach to a huge, huge audience of people. And um, you know chances are there's gonna be at least a few hundred maybe that are in agreement with you and that will back you up, right? And, and, and so you, you have that support from the congregation in Little Rock, such a great church, you know, the majority of the people are gonna be getting with you when you preach. But if you're in a small cramped room with five people, it's a lot more intimate. And all those people that you might be yelling at to repent or something, uh, you know, you, you've you got to shake hands with them and, and, and break bread with them afterwards. And so it's a lot more intimate. Um, and so I would say, honestly, preaching to much, much smaller crowds is a lot more intense than, than preaching to the larger ones, if that
0: makes sense. Right. So uh, before we got started, uh, you said you were 26? Yes, sir. So, so how did how did this happen that here at this time I guess you would have been twenty five because it was about a year ago. What's your story? How how did this happen? Where you got? Uh, wh- how did God orchestrate your path that ultimately took you on the journey to where now you're preaching in front of thousands of people and and you're a, you've been a full time evangelist for several years, I believe. So, um, yes, tell us a little bit about you.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, well, first I want to say thank you both for having me on it's an honor to do this podcast with you all um like you mentioned we haven't had the privilege of meeting in person yet but i have i'm somewhat familiar with your podcast i've had the privilege to listen to a few episodes i really appreciate the guests and the people that you bring on and the way you try to talk about a broad range of topics um you've had some of my heroes on the podcast jeremy painter is one of them so glad you guys interviewed him so many others um and by way of introduction since i'm sharing part of my story um you interviewed actually my uncle, Robin Johnston, is actually my uncle. Mm-hmm. He uh, married my mom's sister. And so we were actually just with Robin and Marsha Johnston on Christmas Day uh, in 2020. So thought it was cool that you interviewed him. Um, as far as myself, uh, yes, I've been evangelizing full-time for in the summer of this year, in the summer of 2021, it will have been six years full-time evangelizing um and so as far as how i got here i often scratch my head and wonder that myself Uh, i certainly don't deserve to be where i am i don't deserve to be behind any pulpit or hold a microphone Uh, but by god's grace i've been able to so i try to make a long story short um i guess i won't go all the way back to the beginning but um, i was raised in a preacher's home you you mentioned a little bit about my dad before we started recording Uh, so i was raised in a pastor's preacher's home um Uh, When I was about uh, 10 or 11 years old, some things happened in the church in Northern California that my dad was pastoring. So we had to move across the country to St. Louis, Missouri, which is where my mother's family uh, has been located for years, Robin and Marsha Johnson being some of those family members. And so uh, we moved over to St. Louis, Missouri. Unfortunately, my parents um, got divorced around that time uh, when I was about, I can't remember, 12 or 13 years old their relationship started kind of crumbling. They got a separation, got a divorce. And so even though I was raised in church, uh, because of all the chaos of that, from about 13 or 14 years old to 17 years old, I sadly, I backslid and walked away from God, walked away from the church and lived a life of sin for several years. It was a dark time in my life, but uh, I was able to get on my knees one day and repent. And and, uh, God took me back by his grace and mercy. And I knew in that moment that I needed to get a firm foundation if I was going to continue to go on and, and live a, a successful life for God. Um, and so I knew I need to go to Urshan. God spoke, me, spoke to me very clearly and, and told me to go to Urshan College, what used to be Gateway College, now Urshan. And so right out of high school, I went to uh, Urshan College, was there for two years. Um, I came out to Southern California on an internship. Um, and God spoke to me and told me to stay. And that was in 2014. So instead of returning back to Urshan, I stayed in Southern California um, uh, at the church where I am now, where I've been for, uh, for well, let's see, six, almost seven years. Um, and um, trying to piece it all together. Oh, and I I, uh, I basically had several people tell me, uh, my uncle Robin included, that I needed to finish my education even if I wasn't gonna go back to Urshan. So I transferred my credits online. I finished my degree. the grace of God, a few years ago, uh, a bachelor's in uh, ministry and biblical studies from Hope International University in Fullerton, California. And um, shortly after I moved here to Rialto, Southern California, about a year afterwards, uh, God just opened the doors, answered prayers. I started evangelizing full time. Uh, That was in the summer of 2015. uh, And I've been evangelizing full time ever since. And somehow, I still don't know how, God opened the doors and I ended up in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is where apparently uh, we, we first made a connection. So that's the short version. Hopefully that answers your question.
1: Uh, thank you for your you timely response. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a year and a half later, that's epic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whose, <laughs> whose church do you base out of? Is it Larry Booker's church?
2: Yes, sir. That's my bishop. And, and his son, Joel Booker, is now the pastor. So Larry and Joel okay. Booker are my, my leadership. Yeah.
1: Man, what an awesome leadership group to sit underneath. Yes, sir. I Absolutely. mean, Larry Booker is one of the greatest apostolic pioneers, uh, I think, that the movement has ever witnessed. Yes, sir. Uh, such a tremendous man of faith. Uh, I have yes, a sir. question for you. Um, you were talking about how uh, your your father um, and your mom got a divorce, and you were at what age? I'm sorry, I didn't get that.
2: Yes, sir. I was 13 or 14.
1: So what does that do to somebody who's lived their whole life as God is able, um, uh, you know, he can do anything, and then your family mm-hmm. just crumbles right in front of your eyes. What does that do to someone so young that's that's born and raised in a pastor's home?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, it was definitely chaotic and, and confusing. Um, it was a, a dark time because, you know, you take things for granted. You grow up in a two-parent home, which is a great privilege, and sadly, a disappearing privilege in America today and i had that privilege and so all of a sudden to see my entire reality kind of crumble um obviously you begin questioning everything what made it difficult was my my mom had her side of the story my dad had his side of the story so at 13 or 14 i was put in a position where i had to determine what was true and who was telling the truth on one subject who was telling the truth on the other um, and I have an older brother, he also kind of spiraled out of control at that time. I spiraled out of control, each of us in our own ways. And, um, and sadly, because I was so young, I hadn't yet really developed a firm foundation uh, in regards to the things of God. So when I should have been doing Bible quizzing, I was sadly backsliding. Uh, so that's why when I went to Urshan College at 17 years old, I couldn't quote to you a single scripture. And I had other people at Urshan College who weren't raised in preacher's homes and they could quote many scriptures. And so during what should have been a foundational time where I should have been creating my Christian foundation, my my intimate relationship with God, instead I had walked away from God and was just questioning everything. Nothing seemed real anymore because everything I thought was real had fallen apart. So I don't blame anybody else. I I definitely point the finger at myself. It was my decision. Um, You know, I I don't live with a a chip on my shoulder or anything like, like that. But it was very Difficult and confusing for a young man to navigate through, and um, that's why whenever I did come back to God, and give my life to God, I really had to, I had to get God for myself. There was definitely no uh, parental relationship I could piggyback on uh, because things had just, you know, crumbled. So I really, really had to get God for myself. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was definitely difficult, very chaotic. Sure.
1: How does somebody, how does somebody get God for themselves? Um, that's, that's a, that's a good statement. Uh, sure. a lot of, a lot of people, we're all roughly the same age. Uh, a lot of people, our age doesn't get God for themselves because they've been taught their whole life, what they have to do to get to heaven. Um, yeah. you know, all, all the, all the quote unquote rules we must follow. So how do you get God for yourself? What did you do?
2: Yeah, such a great question. Um, wow. Well, I certainly don't claim to have all the answers and I know everyone's story is different. Um, For myself, uh, it was just birthed out of desperation. I was so tired of running. I was so tired of the sin I was living in. You know, the psalmist said um, there is no rest in my bones because of my sin. And that's exactly how I felt. I had no rest, no peace. There were times I had suicidal thoughts. I was very depressed, very anxious. And it was primarily because of my sin because I did not have an intimate relationship with my creator in fact the contrary i was running from a relationship and the call of god and so for me it was born out of desperation at 17 years old something tragic happened that i created I, I i did something really foolish and it caused a great problem i really hurt some people and so i'll never forget you know someone basically being on the phone with me saying we don't ever want to see you again we don't ever want to be around you and, and it revealed to me just how much not only I was hurting myself, but if I didn't get things together, I was hurting others as well. And, and that devastated me. So I actually got on my knees on uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, in my, my grandfather's basement, a small storage closet in my grandfather's basement at 17 years old. And I repented of my sins. And I said, God, I'm tired of running. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care if I have to lose every quote unquote friend I have. I don't care if I have to throw out every CD or every movie or every sinful thing I possessed, I cannot live without you anymore. And I stayed in that room for almost two days straight. Uh, not, I'm not boasting at all, I'm just telling you my story. I, I barely came out of the room to to eat or to, to drink water. I just literally cried and prayed for two days. I have a picture somewhere of the tissues just stacked up to here from those two days. I cried so hard, my head was killing me, my stomach was killing me, but I knew I couldn't leave that room until I, I just got all the virtue that I could get from God. And when I came out of that room, I wasn't perfect. I still had things I had to unlearn, but I was a changed man. I was redeemed. I knew that God loved me, had taken me back. He, had, One of the ways he confirmed that he renewed me to where I was speaking in other tongues, obviously. And um, I felt his love and presence so strong. And so from that experience, I just knew I had to go all in head first for God. If I could go all in for the world and for the devil, I could go all in for God and nothing and no one was going to stop me. And I knew my avenue to achieve that, to get to know more of God and to get to know more godly people who could help me. That avenue for me in that time was Urshan College. And the two years I had at Urshan College, I wouldn't trade for anything. No Bible college is perfect, but I knew God had brought me there. And those two years were foundational, fundamental. Most of the scriptures that I can quote to you today are still uh, scriptures that I learned there at Urshan College. And you can thank Dr. David Norris for that, uh, for his class, Introduction to Pentecostal Theology, where he forced us to memorize uh, key doctrinal scriptures. Uh, That was very, very helpful. All the chapel services, the Dean of Students, Jonathan McClintock was a huge help to my life. So many instructors, so many peer mentors, the prayer sessions at Urshan, the moves of God. Um, um, I I, I just, I guess I'm kind of going a roundabout way to answer your question, but to get God for yourself, Um, I I think it really is a perspective, a mental switch where you just, you just say, I, I, I'm not going to let anything or anyone get in my way. I don't care if I fall, I'm going to get right back up. The Bible says, rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. So I, I basically was a sponge. I soaked in everything I could. I memorized as much scriptures as I could. I prayed as much as I could. I gave as much of my gifts, talents, and abilities to God as I could, and and that was kind of my way of getting God for myself, um, if that answers your question.
1: Absolutely.
0: When you're ministering to people, um, how, how, with with the story that you've had, um, have you had the opportunity to be able to minister through your story to, say, you're preaching a youth service, and a young person's up there, and you I, I've listened to a recording that you did yesterday on ultra working and, and I know that you do ask uh, questions whenever you're working the altar you're very intentional in the way you do things how has you having something that you have had to overcome in your past been able to help another person
2: yeah such a good question um well I'm impressed because I, I know we just organized to do this last minute and you guys are coming up with all these great questions so this is wonderful um um A preacher told me one time, preach to others like you would have wanted them to preach to you when you were slipping. Preach to others the way you would have wanted someone to preach to you when you were struggling. And I think I try to apply uh, apply that same principle to altar working as well as preaching. Um, How would would I have wanted someone to pray with me when I was desperate, when I was broken, when I needed direction? Uh, Would I want someone to come up and grab my hair and shake me around and or give me a Holy Ghost back massage, or you know, all the other kind of odd things people can do, when they get a little overly excited. You know, probably not. No, I would want someone caring, compassionate, conscientious, and um, and if they felt it, to be using the gifts of the Spirit to speak some some direction, some some kindness into my ear. So I do try to keep that in mind. Try to be um, uh, sensitive to that. I, I try to imagine, you know, even though I was raised in church. Um, coming into church kind of as a backslidden preacher's son, um, you know, a lot of times people would kind of want to, you know, flock to me and everyone would want to give this word and everyone, you know, they met well, but sometimes they could just be a little too intimate and they would go and start saying things about my dad that they really knew nothing about. And so they, some of those people could have used a class on altar working. I'm not saying I should have been the teacher, but so, yeah, some they of them definitely met <laughs> well, but yeah, they, we, they met you,
1: well.
0: We tend to always men mean well, but sometimes we don't think about what it looks like from the other side.
2: Right, exactly. So always trying to have that empathy and that compassion, compassion, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And if you're someone that isn't raised in church, try to remember how you felt when you first walked into a Pentecostal service and everyone's hooping and hollering and doing backflips and swinging from the chandeliers and maybe running the aisles or whatever else, right? Uh, try to have empathy for that person that's coming into that. And they're thinking, well, this is weird. This is different. You know now, obviously, if they if they surrender their heart to God, they're going to realize it's more than just different; it's powerful. You know, there's anointing. But uh, before you go up there and and you know, kind of slam your hand on their head and knock them out, um, you know, try to remember how you were feeling and how you would have wanted someone to approach you. So as far as my story, you know, I I've tried to memorize scriptures like. Um, Uh, that I can, you probably heard this if you watched the video on altar working, You know, we know that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. And obviously we believe that's in regards to preaching, but it can also be uh, used, that, that scriptural principle can be used in altar working as well. So just because the preaching is over doesn't mean you can't go into someone's ear and share a scripture that you've memorized in their ear and that will build their faith. So things like, hey, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. I tell people all the time in their ear at the altar, no matter what you've done, and no matter what's been done to you, the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'll quote scriptures like, hey, the Bible says, even when we make our bed in hell, God is still there. All those scriptures are very intimate to me because I feel like I had made my bed in hell during my teen years, and yet God still loved me and took me back. So um, that's a great question. And I do try to keep my story and what God brought me out of, I try to keep that in mind when I'm praying for other people who are broken and desperate.
0: Okay, I've got a real deep one for for you since you like our deep questions. What's the funniest <laughs> thing you've ever seen in church?
1: Oh, man. These, this is always my favorite question. <laughs> Dude, I, we don't ask this question near enough. Right, before yeah, before yeah. you answer this question, I want to ask you, when yeah. you were at uh, the church in North Little Rock, did Brother Holmes start beating that bass drum while you were preaching? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that means you were preaching okay. the house. Yeah. He,
0: then. he preached good then.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know. Or or that means I wasn't preaching good and he was, and, and he was trying to He's silence me. I don't it. know.
0: <laughs> no. Hey Tony, do you, well, he thinks of the best one. Cause I want to hear a good one. Do you want to share your funniest one?
1: Oh church? my word. I don't oh. know if it'd be fair because my dad's not here to defend himself. Uh-oh. Uh Oh, I want to hear it now. Definitely. So, uh, one time, uh, when I was growing up, my pastor was an ultra fireball preacher
0: Amen. and
1: you, you know, how those apostolic, uh, um, churches used to be in the late nineties, there was tissue boxes everywhere on the platform. Oh, yeah. Right. And so my, my dad would sit, he was the assistant pastor. He would sit on the floor, not on the platform, but on the floor in a deacon's pew. And my pastor was preaching just his hard out. And, uh, he, uh, was walking in front of the pulpit, and he kept accidentally stepping on these Kleenex boxes. Oh, when he no. got sick and tired of stepping on these Kleenex boxes, so he turned to it and kicked it just as hard as he could and come about three inches away from smacking my poor old dad right in the forehead. Oh, And uh, needless to say, the spirit was all but gone at that point. I mean, there was no more <laughs> preaching at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: but yeah. you know those those apostolic churches in their kleenex boxes we we got to have them especially right around the pulpit
2: that's exactly right <laughs> that is epic and you said your your pastor yeah. was your father
1: uh he or- he was yes uh uh before that it was uh, uh a man by the name of joey mckinnis who i hope to have on the podcast very soon okay uh, my, my my dad was his assistant for uh about 17 years or 16 years something like that and then my dad took pastoralship of the same church that I grew up in I mean Got such it. a such an awesome unique situation um the church that my dad had pastored was uh the church that uh you know four generations of my family has been baptized and received the Holy Ghost in and wow. as a matter of fact the first person that was baptized not only in that church but in that city was my great-grandmother it's you know, wow. such a deep, rich heritage that I that, that, that little community church has. In, in and what city is this? That's in Cobden, Illinois.
2: Cobden. Okay. Wow. Amazing.
1: And and you now have your grandmother's Bible now, don't you, Tony? Yeah, I have my uh I have my grandmother's Bible. I have my great grandmother's Bible. Uh I have uh my dad's study slash preaching bible. Uh some just awesome awesome things that i can just hold on to and pass down through the generations that's amazing Uh, as a matter of fact i have a bible in my possession uh that the date that was given to them was
2: 1898
0: wow wow that's amazing what a heritage tony's dad uh passed away and uh, around thanksgiving from from COVID and so uh, uh, oh, Tony just received a, a great inheritance of of yeah. heritage from his dad. And we've we've honored his dad before in, in a sure. podcast episode. His dad was a great guy. And uh Such I just a great want to say guy. that again, yeah, say so that again since his name got brought up. But uh yeah. but but now that you had a now we, we, we just kinda of took a, a sad turn <laughs> there. But uh but but if <laughs> you, if you right. guys wanna bring us back up, uh Brother Clayborn, <laughs> sure. <give us> <laughs>
2: Well, first uh, to Brother Tony, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about the passing of your father. My condolences you. to you. Thank you.
1: Um,
2: you know, I was while you were talking and sharing that, I it's so terrible. There's only one story that comes to mind, and honestly, I cannot share it on this podcast. There's no oh. way.
0: So, <laughs> so
2: I would be in big trouble. So uh, other than that, <laughs> let,
0: let me ask you like this: Has there ever been in preaching that you so that you can tell on yourself at least? have you ever said something while preaching and as soon as you said it, you went, Oh, I did not mean it for it to sound like that.
2: Yes. Okay. Okay. So I, yeah, that's one I, one I can get my wife. She's going to listen to this podcast later. She's going to love that I'm sharing this because she loves giving me a hard time about this. So the officially the very first sermon I preached, it was on an Urshan Avenue and we actually went to um, Michigan and we preached at Frank Zenobia's church. I don't know if you know the Zenobius, but, um, so they
0: preached at our church, if you, Evan did.
2: Okay. So if Evan or Blake listen to this, love you guys, but, um, they, I don't even know if they'll remember this, but it was, it was, I had spoke before at Urshan. So I had kind of taught, I definitely taught Bible studies, but I'd never formally preached out, you know? And so this was my first time doing that. I was, I don't know, 18 or 19. And, um, and thankfully God still moved and thing, good things happened. But I was trying to say, I think I was trying to say either a fiery dart of of the wicked, you know, or or a fiery heart, and and you can already put together what came out. No, no, I no,
1: tried. We can't. No, we okay. can't. Okay, yeah. F A R T is is really what
2: came out of my mouth. Now, I, I I I thought I stopped it in time. I thought I clipped it to where I didn't fully say the word, and I just moved on and kept preaching. And they were gracious and didn't you know laugh me down. But as soon as the sermon was over, and if you know the Zenobias you can.
1: Did we lose him, Brian.
2: I think we I lost him. The audio, and they had already uh, selected that.
0: Clip uh, 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 we, we, accidentally, we, yeah, we, we lost you for just a second. You said, uh, if oh, you sorry. know the Zenobia's,
2: yeah, if you know the Zenobia's, then you can picture this. Uh, they took me in the office after the sermon, but the Zenobia said, Hey, I want to come to my office, I want to show you something. And they had already selectively, selective, uh, selected, excuse me, the clip of where I had said tried to say fiery dart and and they just kept playing it over and over and over and they were just dying in their office so uh oh, that, so that was my first time preaching so thank god i i didn't let that ruin me
0: <laughs> man they yeah. were so encouraging
2: yeah 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 <laughs> it was humble. Hey, so, it was good for me yeah
1: so i want to i want to ask good. you a i want to ask you a question uh regarding kind of where you're at right now in life um I, I envy uh, men such as yourself. Now, I don't want this to be taken out of context, context in any way, form, or fashion. Uh, God calls all men to places for certain reasons.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I, I, I envy that you get to sit underneath a an apostolic pioneer. Um, yes, sir. what 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 do you do? What do people your age need to do? To make sure that we don't lose what the generation before has before us has has uh, built so hard or worked so hard to build in front of us if you get what i'm asking you here what do we yeah. need to do to make sure that the legacy continues
2: yeah i'm assuming you're referring to the doctrine apostolic doctrine and things like absolutely.
1: that. absolutely absolutely
2: yeah yeah oh that's a great question um, i believe i believe teaching is critical so, um, exposing yourself to as much solid Christian and apostolic teaching as possible. Um, I, I, I believe I, I believe that you can you can change the trajectory of someone's life through solid, sound teaching. Um, and so we, we've got to have that as much as possible, which is why I'm, I'm glad we have the avenues like the Bible colleges and the different books, apostolic books that are put out, et cetera. Um, so I don't know if there's just one thing though. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if a young man or young woman doesn't have it in their heart to live for God and to obey the truth, then, then they may stray from, um, the, from the truth and from the heritage that we have. So, I mean, there's a number of different things I could say. I don't want to take too much time answering, but, uh, obviously there, there must be a love for the truth in, in your heart. Um, solid teaching, exposing yourself to that. If you're, not in an environment where that's happening. Thankfully, by way of technology, there's so many apostolic um, sermons and lessons you can access on podcasts or YouTube. Um, dive in and don't be afraid of asking questions to people and don't be afraid of taking your questions to God. I know there was a time when I first came to God, I was really afraid of the questions that I had about the doctrine and about God. I thought maybe God would be mad at me for my questions or leadership would think I was heretical for my questions but I found that nothing was further from the truth. Um, And and the more you ask questions, the more you'll be able to learn and internalize uh, the doctrine and the truth of God's word. So don't shy away from questions, ask the tough questions um, to God and to your leadership and to respected teachers in Pentecost, whoever you can have access to. Um, and and i think this is kind of an aside somewhat related to your question i think a big big thing that pentecostals need to focus on right now is apologetics um and i'm sure you guys both know what that means but for those that maybe aren't familiar with the term uh, apologetics is basically a reasoned defense of the faith um, and you'll find the the greek word for apologetics in the new testament i believe it's uh when peter says be ready to to give an answer or the reason for the hope that's in you there's a greek word there that refers to apologetics and so i I think um if for our young people and for people like myself and people younger than me to stay strong in the doctrine and continue on with what people like larry booker have taught there's got to be strong apologetics in pentecost both for the basic fundamentals of christianity the gospels what jesus christ lived and taught and and of course the apostolic distinctives that we hold as well there's got to be more and more teaching i would love to see more in-depth uh lessons and apologetics on holiness and, and things like that we have some great resources brother bernard has been putting stuff out for years i commend him for that um, but but i think we could do more I think we could do more to make some of those topics more relevant for young people um putting them in certain visual formats uh, there's all kinds of technological avenues we haven't used to to have a more robust apologetic so um, i'm kind of going beyond your question a little bit and i apologize for that but but i think that's I think that's, no, a, I think that's a, a big thing that will help people my age and younger is, is uh, focusing on apologetics and, and not being afraid of hard questions and really explaining why we do what we do um, going into the scripture and using part of apologetics is of course primarily using scripture but also using disciplines outside of scripture to explain the truth so so for example if, if, if something is true then you can, of course, go to the scripture first, but there'll also be elements of psychology, of philosophy, of history that you can bring together and use together to affirm a certain truth. And I think we can use those things like in relation to stuff like holiness, why we do certain things, why we don't do others. The Bible tells us what we should do, but it turns out that psychology and philosophy also backs out, uh, excuse me, backs up uh, a lot of what we do in regards to our standards, in regards to our distinctive. So I think a lot of times people have kind of been afraid to explore those questions, but I've found the more that I explore them, the more that I ask and search, okay, why do we do this? Why do our women dress a certain way? Why do our men dress a certain way? Why are there some things we do watch and we don't watch, etc.? Um, all of the evidence compiled together, biblical and otherwise, shows us that what we're doing is right and true. And so I think people shouldn't be afraid of apologetics, and hopefully that answers your question.
0: You're talking <laughs> about my you're talking about my passion now. I, there's there's nothing that I would rather talk about than than the actual reasons of why we do things, not yes. just what we do, but why we do it. Uh, yeah, absolutely love it, and and I actually feel bad that. We haven't spent as much time talking about it. um, I do plan to have uh, Dr. Bricklewell in in February. Awesome. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, a few questions such as like John 1 and 1, why do we believe what we believe as opposed to why Trinitarians believe what they believe now. Um, It it should be a very good conversation on how he understands some of these verses. And so I'm really looking forward to that. But um, to this conversation, I'm curious, as a full-time evangelist, When it it comes to sermon preparation, it's been a long time since we've we've talked about this with an individual. And I know a lot of people are always interested to see how a preacher develops their sermon. Um, I want to ask you, actually, before I I get there, just on the topic of sermons, what's your favorite Larry Booker sermon?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, it's crazy. I still haven't heard all of his. I mean, he's been preaching for so long. Mm -hmm. I need to go through it make that a point to listen to everyone I can find but um oh man that's a hard question that's almost as hard as what's the funniest thing that's happened to you (laughs) Uh, obviously um the sure mercies of David uh, is a classic sermon um okay probably the one that comes to the top of my mind right now is um I think it's titled um I made this decision when I was in my right mind or something along those lines right are you you familiar with what I'm referring to
0: yes yes Yes.
2: okay so that that sermon i just can't remember exactly how it's titled i listened to that one pretty early on and that was pretty that was pretty fundamental in in my shaping even before i moved to rialto and even before the bookers became my leadership Mm -hmm. uh that scripture uh that sermon was was very helpful to me
0: is is that the one where he tells a story of the the sniper or is that the one of the the neighbor that built the uh built the the road around his house to keep the fire from burning his house up
2: yeah that's a great story so i don't think that's the sermon that has the the fire story you just mentioned i i think the the one i refer to is the one that has carlos halfcock the sniper in it i think i think but um i'm gonna feel really bad if someone listens to this and texts me and says hey you got that wrong you don't know your own bishop's <laughs> My memory <laughs> fails me, yeah. fails me a little bit, but but I, I do remember the story of the sniper Carlos Hathcock. Obviously, that was such an impactful story, and I can't remember if that's in the same sermon or not, but I think it is.
0: Do you do you remember the gist of the the sniper story? In case anybody's listening that are like, what are, what are they talking about? This sniper and. And, and this is a caveat so that way they can they can go fill, hear, hear the full sermon. but do you remember the snippets of, of what the relevance of the sniper is to the sermon? You,
2: you know what? I honestly I, I would for the sake of time and, and clarity, I, I wouldn't even want to try because I, I don't know if I remember all the key components. I mean I remember the story and, and how long he crawled on his belly and all of that to get to the target and, and assassinate the target and all of that. but I can't remember all the principles that were derived from that story so my memory is just failing me right now unfortunately
0: yeah like I said I, I really don't remember as much about, I just remember uh like you said it was such a long time from when he planned the uh the assassination of the target till finally yes. getting there and and yes. whenever he got to the final moment after everything he had been through he said well I had prepared for this a long time that's ago. right and uh, that's
2: right. Something along the lines of I I I made the decision to do it when I was in my right mind. So in those times when I'm crawling and I'm sweaty and bugs are around me and I'm terrified and I'm not in my right mind, I go back to the decisions I did make in my right mind. And I this is one thing Brother Booker says, I, I don't make a big decision when my mind's in a fog. Right. And so you can apply that to trials of life and different stuff. When you go to the altar and the presence of God is strong on you and God speaks to you, that's when you're most in your right mind. So if God speaks to you to something at the altar, hold on to that. That's true. And if in the days and months ahead, things get really foggy and difficult, hey, remember the decisions you made when you were in your right mind and don't make a big decision when you're not in your right mind.
0: It's kind of the question. And that really is a great principle because a lot of people can really mess themselves up just making a snap decision. Right. Um, so, so whenever it comes to you and you're invited to to preach at a church, what's your, what's your process like? How, how is a ser How is it that God gives a sermon to you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another good question. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I I feel like maybe I'm almost schizophrenic in, in this, uh, in regards to this, because it, I I don't know if I've nailed down and maybe because I'm still young, I haven't nailed down. Okay. This is the consistent way that it happens to me. It's happened uh, a number of different ways. It can be God can burst something through a conversation with a friend or conversations like this one that we're having, um, um, through listening to someone else, preach, listening to a podcast, whether it's, um, uh, a, um, Christian podcast, theological podcast, history podcast, a lot of times things can be birthed through that. Um, obviously in prayer, I mean that that's that's probably the majority of times when I'm praying, all of a sudden just these thoughts will come to my head and obviously I know they're not from me, they're from God. So I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but there's a reason why we tell people to pray, pray, pray and that's because that's when you're positioning yourself to best hear the voice of God. And that's probably when I get the most direction and, and hear the most things from God is just, just simply in prayer. And, and, and the thoughts can be so simple sometimes, you know, I know anyone in ministry can relate to this. You know, if you're not careful in the beginning, you can think that those thoughts are just your own. You can kind of just dismiss some of those thoughts. But that's why in prayer, you really have to listen and you really have to take seriously the thoughts that come to your mind because they may not all be your own. And, and God really could be planting something in you. Uh, for a sermon or whatever so
0: do you ever get tired of traveling yes Where you're just like dude i'm just so i'm just over it
2: yes all the time
0: how do you how do you refuel
2: yeah um and all these questions are are, are making me want to make sure that i live up to these questions because they're great (laughs) questions um uh so I'll say this. I, I love to travel and my wife loves to travel. My wife was actually involved heavily in foreign missions before we got married. I think she's been, she's 25 and she's been to almost 30 countries. Um, wow. So wow. so traveling is in her blood and DNA. So that's, that's one of the main, not main things, but a big thing that drew me to her is I knew that if we got married, she would totally hit the ground running with me because she loves to travel just as much as I do. So we love to travel. We love to explore. We really don't have a problem that we don't technically have a home. You know, I tell people we're legally transient. We're, we're technically homeless. You know, we live out of our little Hyundai Elantra, um, or of course out of airplanes, hotel rooms. Um, But just physically and mentally, it does get tiring. Um, And, you know, I think you, every evangelist, everybody in ministry, but especially those that are traveling a lot, you have to take breaks. As far as refueling, you have to take breaks. You have to, because if you don't take breaks, then every time I pick up my Bible, I always have the upcoming service in mind. So if I pick up my Bible on Monday, I'm thinking about I have Wednesday's sermon coming. I better be ready. I better find something in this Bible for the sermon. Or if I'm picking up the Bible on Thursday, okay, you know, hey, it's a few days away, but Sunday's coming. And so every scripture I read, I always have, ooh, could there be a sermon here, whatever the back of my mind. And even though that's okay, it's not allowing me to just read the, the Bible I guess, as fully as I could, or as devotionally as I could. It's not just me sitting there, just reading the words of God to be close to God. I'm always having that in my mind. Okay, there's a sermon coming. And so I've found that, um, you know, when I take breaks, and I don't have a service coming up, then it's like reading the Bible even is totally different. I can just sit there and there's no pressure. I can read it how I want it you know, uh, uh, in, in, in whatever order I want to read it in without any pressure at all. And so I can actually feel like, hey, I'm I'm, I'm not just reading my Bible, but I'm having a moment here with God when I read th- these words on the page. And so that's just one example of how how taking breaks can give you spiritual renewal. It can turn, you know, something that has been feeling like a chore or a duty, it can turn it into a delight. Um, and if you don't do that, then then the, sometimes the things of God can start to become and feel like too much of a chore. And that's when you have to take a break. And, and so you can allow those things to become a delight again. If I, I don't know if that makes sense. Hopefully that's making sense what I'm trying yeah. to say. Um, yeah, but, it shouldn't just become
0: another job.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think it was, I can't remember what preacher said. Many men have failed God by working for him, but no one has ever failed God by walking with him. And so so when I when I feel like I'm just so much just busy, be just I'm 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 working for God, but I'm not sure how much I personally have been walking with him. I, I want to take a break and I want to just take Jesus hand in hand and I just want to be with him myself. And it's not I want to be a little selfish with it. It's not for anyone else. It's it's for me and God to reconnect. So. Again, there's many different ways people disconnect, um, but you definitely, what I've started to do is be strategic about about scheduling and breaks. Sometimes those breaks will be during the week. And I know I have a Sunday coming, but hey, it's still refreshing. There's other times where I'm like, you know what? I need to even have a break over a weekend. So my wife and I will schedule something or we'll go home and we'll intentionally not preach on a Sunday because we want to be preached to and we want to uh, just kind of reconnect and refuel with God. And, and someone who could say it a lot better than me, it's, it's not an apostolic author, but he does have wisdom in this area. It's a book called, Didn't See It Coming by Carrie Newhoff. You may have heard about it. Um, it it's a book that really helped me during a season where I feel like I was on the edge of burnout. Um, it was It was just about a year and a half ago and I read that book at a crucial time. And that book is all about avoiding burnout, making sure you refuel and recharge. And that book saved me. It really, really helped put some things in perspective to me. So anybody that's feeling like they're struggling with burnout, or or even if you're not struggling with that, if you want to make sure you don't end up burned out and, and you want to make sure you're not one of those people that say, like the book title says, oh man, here I am in a bad situation and I just didn't see this coming, right? You don't ever want to fall in any way in sin or morally and then say, wow, I just, I didn't see this coming around the corner. No, you, you've got to, you've got to keep your eyes out. For that, you've got to make sure you take breaks. You, you've got to have a soberness and a vigilance, and I think that book can help give you some principles uh, to make sure you're refueling and recharging. So, hopefully, that answers your question.
0: Do you? Yeah, avoiding bring, burnout is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, you go ahead, uh, uh, Tony. Because this is this is actually a topic that I know you've talked a lot about. Is that uh, nothing breaks your heart more than than seeing a ministry that's just running on fumes that's just doing it because it's a job and uh, yeah, and, and yeah so,
1: absolutely so go ahead what, what were you going to say Tony <clears throat> um what, what I was going to say is there's nothing more uh critical to ministry than understanding what your body's trying to tell you uh um, yes there there's there's times in ministry and times and even our walk with God that we're doing things out of this is what I'm supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. not necessarily walking in, um, you know, in a close relationship with God, because there's times, and if you say it doesn't happen to you, uh, I don't believe you. I'm talking about our listeners here, that it it happens to all of us that we don't feel God and we don't hear from God. And the worst thing we can do is act like we do. Yeah. And and there, and there's time, there's, there's moments in our life that we need to take time for ourselves and say, okay, look, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what, how I need to fix it. And this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Going through the motions isn't necessarily the answer, but yet we feel like, we feel like, oh, I'm going to worship my way out of this. Good for you. Let that be the case, but that's not going to be the case for everybody. And don't lie to yourself saying, oh, well, I got my blessing tonight because I shouted and said, amen, three times real loud and spoken tongues. Right. I mean, that's, that like I said, that's all fine and dandy, but until you can get rest in your soul and understanding where the issue's coming from, burnout is something that's killing the apostolic movement, whether we want to admit it or not.
2: That's I exactly mean, we, we,
1: right. I mean, we lose so much to the, to the to the minister that's not burdened anymore, but he's comfortable and he yeah. doesn't know what to do because he knows that, you know, I'm doing this because I'm being faithful to my saints. Yeah. let alone knows that he's screaming on the inside let me out you know yeah just, yeah that's just something that i'm glad you talked on is it's very very important for us to understand it's it's something we got to uh we got to do we got to listen to our bodies more as uh yeah. as ministers of the gospel
2: yes and if i could tag in on that you know i think there are a lot of um well the majority of ministers have big hearts right that's why they're in ministry they got into ministry because they wanted to serve and they wanted to help i know there's always bad apples but i think that's the majority of people and one of the problems with having a big heart and and a lot of compassion for people is a lot of times you can take all that work and that burden on yourself and you can think that man if i stop or i don't keep going pedal to the metal then things are going to fall apart and sister susie's going to fall apart or brother joe's going to fall apart or whatever And if I'm not here doing such and such for them at all times, then it's all going to fall apart. And and what we don't realize is we accidentally kind of sometimes give us this savior complex, this Messiah complex. And we have to realize that, no, uh, God loves his church even more than I do. It's his bride. It's it's his wife. And I can take a break. I can step back and rest. I can turn my phone on airplane mode for a few days or whatever I need to do um, and rest and recharge with God. And everything's not going to fall apart. And even if some things do kind of, you know, the weeds do grow up a little bit. Well, I, I, I'm i not the only one working in the kingdom here. God, God is fighting for us, fighting with us. And, um, you know, if I have to come back and clip a few weeds when I'm done resting, so be it. But uh, everything's not going to fall apart. I'm going to trust God with the work of God and not think that I have to be there with every single thing all the time. Um, working on it. Uh, one, one person said this, she said, uh, I heard someone say this, it was so good. She said, rest is a strategy of war. Rest is a strategy of war. And that is very true. If you look at journals of, of generals and, and leaders throughout history, um, there will be scheduled times for themselves and their soldiers to get rest. Now there's some seasons where it's not much rest, but, but Unless they all want to fall apart, they will schedule rest as a part of their strategy of war. God rested in the Old Testament, He rested in the New Testament. And like you said, we have to listen to our bodies, listen to our spirits, and the voice of God telling us, hey, stop, rest, trust me with the work. The work will go on, and uh, you need to recharge so you can continue being a a good soldier for Jesus Christ.
1: I mean, we're absolutely foolish to believe the kingdom can't advance without us being over every little thing. Now, don't yes. get me wrong. We're all called to be a part of that uh, or work a part of right. uh, uh, this together. But we're foolish right. to think if I don't do this, it's going to fall apart.
2: Right. I right. mean,
0: God knows. It's not us. likely that they put a chain on the door if you take a weekend off.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. There's, Um. Uh, I want to read this to you. And
0: if they would, oh, right. you've got way more problems than taking a weekend off. If the bank's going to lock the doors over one weekend, you've got way deeper issues to handle than that. Exactly. They're not in it, a good situation to begin with.
2: Right. If things do fall apart in one way or the other, it's not because you rested. It's because there were other problems that maybe you didn't realize or maybe you didn't attend to, exactly. right? And that's that's the issue. But rest is never the issue. God is very much pro-rest. You, you will hear it talked about all throughout scripture. And I want to read this as well. This is the the New English uh, Translation, so it's a little different. But while you're talking, I thought of this. Um, Paul said in Philippians chapter two, verse twelve, he said, "So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of His good pleasure is God." So, so I feel like God, you know, revealed this to me reading the scripture. A mature church will keep working things out even in their leader's absence. Paul said that not only are you obeying and doing well, but you're doing it even more in my absence, right? So the goal should never be, and and I know everyone would agree with this, should never be to teach people to to rely on us as leaders, as ministers, as preachers. Our first goal is to get people to rely on God. So, So that way, when we're gone, for whatever reason, whether it's rest or another ministry trip, Things don't fall apart, but in fact, the church can do even better and flourish in our absence because we've taught people to rely on God more than man.
1: Mm-hmm. You, that's, um, that's powerful stuff.
0: You hit it, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head, I think. Absolutely. Um, but let, let me ask you a question kind of changing chop- topics now. Do you bring revival in your suitcase or? is there something that pastors have done that that um, has prepared the field for a harvester such as yourself to come in and through the work of the Holy Ghost, bring harvest to a church?
2: Okay. So if I understand your question, it's like, how much of it is the evangelist's job? How much of it is the pastor's job? Is that kind of, just to make sure I understand?
0: Yeah, basically what I'm saying is, I think that there are some churches that have this mindset that we just need the right evangelists to show up, and then things will will kick off. Yeah. And but and, but then and no again, offense,
1: but that couldn't be farther from the truth. But yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah.
0: Because uh, because I can just because mainly one of the things that I'm curious is when you walk in a church, how, uh, you know, with with spiritual discernment, can you tell like, okay, well, this, not that you're coming with with the intention of judging a church by any means, but when you walk in, you go. This church doesn't have their focus just right right now. And, and how yeah. hard is it for you that that you have a, a gifting and you have a calling, but whenever you come in, you really can't flow in the fullness of your gift because there's too much distraction going on. Yeah. there's people the the whole back rows watching Netflix, and you're trying <laughs> to, to to pray people through to the Holy Ghost. You you understand what I'm saying? Like yes. I, I'm just wondering if there's people out there that have the mindset that the evangelist is the answer yes. and not selling yourself short by any means. You have an important job, a scriptural job, right. but how important is it that that church is prepared before you ever even get there?
2: Great question. And and that's, um, I'm sure you already know the answer as you're asking. And I feel the same way as I'm assuming you do. It, it's a, it's a uh, utmost importance uh, for the church to be prepared and ready as much as possible. I, um, we're all human, we're all flawed, right? We all rely, rely on the grace of God. And, and I, as one man, you know, yes, I wanna be anointed. Yes, I wanna pray and fast and study and be prepared. And I try to bring as much revival in my suitcase as I can. But like you said, there's only so much I can do, um, especially if the church is not ready, they're not really interested in revival, they're not really wanting revival. Maybe they're, they're doing it to just kind of check off a list. Okay, we had a special preacher this year, even though no one really cared if that happened or, or like you said, people watching Netflix on the back row or whatever the reason can be. Yeah, there's, I mean, all the time. And I'm not saying this disparagingly, no church is perfect. I've never been to a perfect church yet, by the way, any church I go to. And if you um, ever do,
0: don't go to it because you'll mess it up.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Someone said, don't, d- don't stay away from the church because there's hypocrites because there's always room for one more, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're all hypocritical and need of God's grace saved by his grace. So, um, any church I go into, um, I can, by the grace of God, I can see limitations. Sometimes I don't always realize until after I leave, you know, I I don't always have a plus perfect discernment. Um, but I try to have the best discernment. And yes, I can definitely see when I go to places, okay, this church isn't ready for this. Or, or this church, maybe the saints are ready, but the leadership's not ready. Or this church, maybe the leadership's is ready, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done with, with these people. And I can only come in and do so much. I'm not their shepherd. You know what I mean? I, and, and a big thing, my wife and I were just talking about this church culture is so important. Every church yes. has their own culture, and and even a non culture is a cur- culture. What I mean by that is even if you're not aware of it, and even if you haven't been intentional to create a positive culture, well, then that just means you'll have a disjointed, probably disunified culture, but it's a culture nonetheless. And and that exactly. is something that an evangelist can only do so much about, right? That is, in my opinion, the leadership's job, the pastor's job, to do their best to intentionally create that culture that makes revival more apt and easier to happen. So, you know, I believe in the fivefold ministry. Obviously I am an evangelist, but I do think the pastor definitely has the harder job than the evangelist, at least the way we in modern Pentecost define what an evangelist and a a pastor is. Um, You know, I get to go in, I preach, I do my thing, I dip out. A lot of times I'm just doing a weekend here, weekend there. Well, the pastor is the one that's there day in, day out. They're the one that's shepherding the sheep. They're the one in the back room counseling them, right? I don't even know half the problems of what's going on. And, and so they they have uh, the harder job. They have more responsibility, but that also means the reward is greater. You know, I've had many pastors tell me there's nothing like the reward of discipling someone over the course of 10, 15 years and watching them grow into an incredible man or woman of God. As an evangelist, I don't get that privilege. Does that make sense? So, so it's kind of like, um, you know, I, I definitely do say that that would be the leadership's role is to properly prepare the environment as much as possible for revival. And for anyone who says, "Well, that's unfair. You're putting too much on the pastor." No, because the greater the responsibility, the greater the reward. Right. You know. So hopefully that that answers your question.
0: So, how what do you what do you see as your job as an evangelist? What, what, what do you think? What is the important gifting that you that you and not just you in particular, but other brothers that are like you, what is, what is it that's so important about an evangelist? And the reason why I'm curious is because after this, I I do, I do want to say that you guys have an incredibly difficult job with the travel. And then on top of it right now, you, you're, we're in COVID-19. So you have so many churches that aren't having services Sure. And then you have this movement from the traditional 10 o'clock morning service, six o'clock evening service to where now a majority of churches are going to one service or right. two back-to-back services or two duplicate services or two totally unique services. And, and where traditionally you could go and the fact is you have to pay bills. You could preach at a church in the morning and another church in the evening. And you are taken care of by two different churches in a weekend. And now, Yeah, that's becoming harder and harder to do with the climate that we're in. And some of it is because of American culture is forced pastors to make these decisions. I'm not condemning anyone for the decision they have to make in their church. But you are called, at least right now, I don't know what God has for you in the future. You have an important job to do now. And how is it that as an evangelist that you navigate the, the society that we're in as well as bringing what is a needed ministry to the church. And so I know that's a, that's a lot of stuff to unpack, but I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I guess, I guess my role, you know, obviously biblically to, to edify the body, right. To edify the church, um, to, to build faith and to see as many, you know, I'll use the word sinners or non-believers or whatever you want to call them to see as many of those people converted, filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized as possible. Um, and, and then, so, so that's kind of a broad designation of, of the work of an evangelist. And then every individual evangelist would maybe say they have kind of a specific niche or calling that they feel within that, right? For me, I can honestly say, you know, there's some evangelists that they go and maybe they don't have as many first time guests or many, uh, many new converts. Maybe they don't have as many people receiving the Holy Ghost but man, they edify the church. They build so much faith. They preach that word fitly spoken to where the church is fired up. They go out into the streets and bring 50 people next service to the house of God, right? Everyone has their own giftings. That I don't feel like is is my gifting as much. I'll just be totally transparent. If I go to a church and, and it's a Sunday morning and there's no visitors at all, I usually am kind of like floundering, you know, now now I trust God that he'll give me the message I need to preach that morning, but I don't feel like I'm ever as effective when I'm just preaching to people who have already been saved for, for years as I am to preaching to either new converts or people that, have, that are not yet converted. I feel like my gifting as an evangelist that God has gifted me with is, is to focus on new converts and, and sinners. So if I go and I see a bunch of people that need the Holy Ghost or need to be baptized, I'm going to zero in on them. God gives me the faith and confidence to go after them. I do my best to relate to them, to to communicate the gospel to them in a way that's understood and to see as many people filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized as possible. That's what I go for every time. That's what I feel like burning Claiborne's job is as an evangelist. But someone else could say something different, you know. And sometimes you go through different seasons. I know, you know, evangelists that have been evangelizing 30 years, they might say in their first 10 years, they were focused more on this. The next 10, they felt God was directing them to focus more on this area. So um, I think that answers the first part of your question, but you may have had more packed in there.
0: Yeah, the the rest of what I had packed in was, what's it like during the COVID-19, the way service schedules are changing? yeah yeah what's yeah. is it frustrating for you that that you look and you see like you know the majority of preachers it seems that are preaching conferences or are, are other pastors and you're like well sure. the evangelists are getting left out how do you how do you mentally control yourself to not lose your mind over things like that or even if it even if it ever even registers to you
2: sure it's a good question i'll, I'll be honest and I, I don't say this to sound um special or noble in any way i, I that really hasn't registered to me. Not meaning that I'm uncaring about COVID and the effects on the church and effects on evangelists. Obviously I've thought a lot about that. I've known people close to me that have passed away as well from the virus and it's terrible. It's been a tough year, Um, but I haven't really, um, that hasn't really registered with me because I look at what I do as a privilege. I mean, if someone's called to preach, that means you do it whether you're paid to do it or not. And I know that a laborer is worthy of his hire. I know all that. But, you know, I, I like I remember when I, f- I got my first check for preaching, I literally went into the bathroom stall because I didn't want anyone to see me open it at the church. I opened it and I looked at it and I saw the amount. And it it was a normal amount what you'd pay an evangelist. And I started crying. I just started weeping there in the bathroom stall. So my like, God, I don't deserve this. What am I doing here? It's an honor just to preach and I'm getting paid for it. And and so I really feel like I got into evangelism because God called me, not because I kind of closed my eyes and spun a wheel and said, Oh, I guess I'll do evangelism, nothing else to do, right? I really felt like God called me into it. And so if God calls you into something, whether it's evangelizing or pastoring or anything else, then he's gonna foot the bill. He's gonna take care of it. Whether COVID-19 is happening or anything else, he's gonna make sure that my bills are paid. He's gonna make sure that your bills are paid. You know what I mean? So um I you know, yeah, there was some things closing down. And yeah, some pastors have gone to one service and all of that. But my deal is if God wants me to be an evangelist, he will open the doors for me. And if the doors stop opening and they close, then that could mean God has something else for me. And I'm gonna take that other direction and trust him that he's gonna provide the bills for myself and my wife. It, it, I really do think it comes back to a matter of trust. If you really trust that your life in ministry is in God's hands, you're not gonna fear or be worried when certain things come that kind of change it or, or turn that and and if you have to um uh you know by the grace of god we we did we're, we're able to stay pretty busy through the pandemic uh but there was about a month or two that was you know more slow or we were doing everything online like this and um to make some extra money someone said hey there's a landscaping opportunity i used to be landscaping when i was in bible college you can come over and uh, make some extra money if you want and so i didn't I didn't say, well, no, I'm not gonna go do that because I'm an evangelist. So I'm not gonna shovel, I'm not gonna rake, I'm not gonna pull up trees or plant trees. I'm like, hey, this is a way God is providing for me and my family in the midst of the pandemic. So I went over and and God was so kind to provide that landscaping job. I did that and earned some extra cash. So I think if we're more flexible, more adaptable, and, and we're trusting in God with all of our heart, um, I, I, I don't think we'll be quite as frustrated or quite as worried when trials come. And the last thing I'll say with that is, as every evangelist knows, um, we're blessed to preach behind pulpits and be paid for it. But what we're doing right right now may not last forever. I don't know what the future holds, right? This system that we have right now may not be around forever. Um, And so if those doors stop opening i am still called to preach the gospel and teach the gospel wherever i go so i've always known if all the doors close i'm going to go home to rialto california where i am right now because i'm actually preaching local in the area and i'm going to get out my bible study chart and i'm going to get out my bible and i'm going to find every person i can and teach bible studies to them and do whatever work i have to do on the side to make money and god's going to take care of me so evangelism never stops even if Amen. the church doors are closed you know
1: absolutely absolutely uh, bro, uh, we, me and Brian can't express how much we've enjoyed our conversation with you today. Um, I've got one final question for you. Brian may have another, I'm not sure. Um uh, sure. but in closing, uh, what would you say to encourage our next generation that's coming up right now?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. <sighs> if I had the time, I would sit there and just ruminate on that for, for several minutes. Um, What would I say to the generation that's coming up? Absolutely. Um, Man, there's so much. I would say um, pursue an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ with all of your heart. Um, No matter what trials you find yourself in, no matter how good or how bad your family situation is, none of that has to keep you from pursuing an intimate relationship with jesus christ with all of your heart and no matter what your age is you could be listening to this and be 12 years old you could be 25 years old you could be 35 years old um you will never go wrong with putting all your eggs in that basket so to speak and and just say god I'm, i'm putting everything into you into your kingdom i am i am if you're a younger person uh, and you haven't yet heard the voice of God, or you don't know what it's like to hear the voice of God, make that a mission of yours. I'm going to pray and get away in my closet and read the word of God until I can say, I felt the voice of God or heard the voice of God for myself. Pursue intimacy with Jesus and, um, don't, don't trade the truth for trends. Uh, there's a lot of ideologies swirling in the world right now. Um, uh, it's trendy to think certain ways and believe different things but that doesn't mean it's right. Um, don't let the blue check marks on Twitter and the social media influencers on Instagram uh, influence you if they're not apostolic Christian people just because they're influencers doesn't mean they should be influencing you. Um, don't don't just because they have 50 million followers, don't take their word above the man of God that's in your life. Um, you know mm. the, the pastor in your life, May not be as educated, may not have as many followers, may not be a celebrity, but if he or she is walking in the will of God and in the word of God, that person should be a far greater hero to you than any secular celebrity. Um, um, uh, Do make sure you don't have a love of the world in you. Don't, don't, Don't be worldly in our age of unprecedented access to anything we want. Do whatever you have to do. Uh, to not be worldly and not let your mind be corrupted by the things of this world. Do everything you can to make sure you have a biblical worldview. Um, So when you look at trials and you look at events that are happening in the world, you're seeing it through a biblical lens. And whether you have to go to Bible college to get that biblical worldview or sit down with your pastor and and have intimate Bible studies with him or whatever, um, that's another thing I would say. There's so much I could say, and I, I don't want to ramble, but I would, I would just maybe focus on those things for now. Pursue intimacy with Jesus. Um, um, develop a biblical worldview at all costs. Refrain from worldliness. Don't trade the truth for trends. Um, and make sure the heroes in your life are men and women of God who love God, who follow his will, follow his word and his plan.
1: Brian, that's some
0: good stuff, man. It definitely is. Uh, My final question is this. um, What all all is it that you see that God is doing? Um, And just if there's some testimonies from your your travels that that come to mind that can give uh, someone out there an encouragement, uh, somebody out there a a new surge of hope for what they're going through, what are some of the things that you're seeing God do in your ministry?
2: Yeah, so you cut out during the first part of your
0: question. Did you say share a testimony or? Yeah, like some of the things that that God is doing in your travels that you're seeing. Sure, just sure. Just to give someone out there uh, some hope today Absolutely. or uh, some faith. Absolutely. Great question.
2: And thank you guys again for having me on for these wonderful questions. Uh, it really is my honor to, to speak to you and to your listeners. Um, you know, God is, as you know, still very much active, moving and alive in the world. God never grows tired. He never grows weary. He's not caught off guard by any of these things that are happening. We might feel overwhelmed. There's tremendous pressure from the spirit of the age and the spirit of the Antichrist being put on the people of God right now. If you've, if you've been feeling overwhelmed or just wore down over the past few months, it's not by coincidence. The enemy is trying to wear down and exhaust the people of God. But I'm happy to tell you that the God we serve, again, he's never exhausted, he's never weary. If we put all of our hope in him, like Paul said, we have a hope that maketh not ashamed. If we put all of our stock, our hope, our investment in him, then then we don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to be worn down. God wants to renew our strength and remind us that he's still moving all around the world today. And I'll give you one example to demonstrate that. Just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching in Spokane, Washington and i uh, preach there quite a bit, uh, have a good connection with some of the churches there that, that God has given us, and um, there was, I was preaching a New Year's Eve service Thursday night, and um, a, uh, I, I had felt to preach a sermon, uh, a sermon I preached called Don't Let the Darkness Decide, and the title is pretty self-explanatory, so I won't go into all of it, but I, I talk about, somewhat. what I'm talking about right now, don't let the, the current events, uh, dictate your faith and your joy, right? Uh, don't, don't be, um, overwhelmed with depression, fear, anxiety, et cetera. You know, you know, give, give those things to God and let the light of God rule and reign in your life and on and on and on. And I had felt to preach that sermon and to all the, the preachers out there that can relate to this. I I really struggled because many of the people in the audience that night had already heard that sermon actually, but there was about half of the audience that had not. And so I kept asking God, are you sure? You know, I don't want to preach something people have already heard. I I was trying to be very practical, but it didn't go away. It was like God just kept that title in my mind. Don't let the darkness decide. So I said, okay, I'm going to preach it. Little did I know there was a young man named Isaiah that was in the congregation that night. And I preached that message. And he came to the front. He lifted his hands. And he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And it was a beautiful sight to see. What I didn't realize until a few days later that I met him at another church service followed up with who he was, I realized that his grandfather was a man that just a few months prior had passed away due to COVID and a combination of the smoke from the wildfires that were happening in the Northwest. He was in his fifties. He was a pillar in the church. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. I loved him. And he tragically passed away suddenly. He had prayed this grandfather for years that his grandson whom he loved would be saved but his grandson didn't want anything to do with church. So the grandfather passed away, went to the grave, never knowing if his grandson would be saved. Well, I found out that that young man that came to the front that night and received the Holy Ghost was this grandpa's grandson. The one that he had been praying for for years, now came to the front, received the Holy Ghost, And I can only imagine that that elder brother, Cecil, who passed away was looking over the balcony of heaven, crying and rejoicing that his grandson had been filled with the Holy Ghost. So that was a great miracle that lets us know that prayers live beyond us. prayers, never die. Prayers go beyond the grave. totally built our faith. And the other thing with that, that was so incredible that I didn't realize till later, was he has a, a friend who lived with him. And that that friend's also a friend of mine. And his friend told me, you know, that day on Thursday, I saw that young man for the first time go get his gun out of storage, his personal firearm out of storage. And he began cleaning it. He began cocking it. He began interacting with it in a way that was suspicious. And my friend said, I've never seen him act like this. He was acting really odd. And I was getting worried that maybe he was thinking about taking his own life. Also, that same day, I didn't realize till later, that young man named Isaiah, had picked up the phone and called his grandma and said, grandma, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna end my life today. I'm gonna take my own life either tonight, tomorrow. I can't do this anymore. She begged him not to, she begged him to go to church. He agreed because he was so desperate and in such darkness. And when he went to church that night, just a few hours earlier, planning to take his own life, he went to church that night, was filled with the Holy Ghost and God not only saved him spiritually, God saved him physically. And after that, a huge smile on his face, the joy of the Lord overcame him. And he said, what I was planning to do before, I am not going to do. I have found new life in Jesus. The last I checked, he's planning to be baptized soon in Jesus' name. His spiritual life was saved and his physical life was saved. And that's just one example of a miracle that we have been privileged to see as of late that God has done.
0: Praise God. Mm -hmm. You know, Tony, hearing that story makes me think about how important it is that you say yes to the call of ministry because what if Brother Claiborne hadn't been there that night? What if it, who knows what could have happened? Or or even even as tremendous as, as that testimony is, that could have been someone else's story that they were a part of in someone else's life. And so I just yeah. want to encourage our listeners to say yes to the calling of God because you never know who out there someday that you may, you don't even know yet, will one day need you to have said yes because they could have been in that same situation but Amen. thank you brother claiborne for taking time to speak yes. with us and uh it's it's actually it's been our honor and it was it was worth the year and a half wait brother so <laughs> yes sir so so, so <laughs> thank thank you so much for your time and uh we're about to end the recording so you can tell us your funniest church story off record so that way <laughs> at least we can know it well uh, it's it's been my
2: privilege thank you so much for having me
0: yes thank you Absolutely. tony
1: Do you have any last words? Uh, Other than this has been a very crucial conversation.